Ah, uh, you know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? Who? Jack Burton. Me. We all feel better. We all feel better in the dark. Oh, Are you taking the piss? Yeah. I'm gonna fuck you up. Oh, man. I'm gonna fucking kill you. He's a funny yeah, guy. Sorry. He's a funny guy. But he's great. You know, he looks like a guy who wakes up in the morning. He brings him down. There's a bucket full of chips and cars. Right. He pops right <laughs> And he's chewing it while he's walking to the bathroom. Bringing the noise. Since 07. Yeah. The BK wait all day with these two DJ and Ferguson here to teach you That trap's on a sure way to kill And even ain't Raquel, not now, never will The boys don't play, bring on all flicks If you ain't coming with it, they will tell you that it's ish Great, great man, you will get applause And when we say Christabel, everybody please pause Clive Barker, the musicals The man with the S to the Disney unusual Duck and cover when time's on the rant Or please sing along cause you know that they can't <laughs> So this one goes out to you and yours And all the great members of the message boards They call me B-hyphen and it's time to start Cause we all feel better, better in the dark yeah, yeah. Every species can smell its own extinction The last one's left, won't have a pretty time of it and In ten years, maybe less The human race will just be a bedtime story for the children. A myth. Attention, you are now entering the debarkation area. No talking, no smoking. Follow the orange line to the processing area. The next scheduled departure to the prison is in two hours. You now have the option to terminate and be cremated on the premises. If you elect this option, notify the duty sergeant in your processing area. And until we get back in touch with you... Go back, that rabbit. Right, Devin? Oye, oye, oye! Be it known to all within the sound of our voices that Director's Court is now in session. Presiding over this court is the Honorable Thomas DJ and the Honorable Derek Ferguson. Standing, Standing before, before us today, today for summary judgment, John Carpenter. If that's not an uh, indication of where we're going with this episode of Better in the Dark, I don't know what is. <laughs> because once again, we are throwing open the doors of Director's, director's Court. Court. Whenever you hear the... <laughs> you know what that means. We are having the accused marched in, in leg irons mm-hmm. and chains, because this time, this is a guy I think who deserves it. <laughs> Unlike the previous Director's Courts, where the guys that we had yeah. in front of us, they were okay, but this is a director. I feel in this one that's kind of seriously going off the rails yeah. with his career. As we've always said, the director's court is kind of an excuse to talk in general about directors we think are interesting and mm-hmm. to evaluate their position right now in Hollywood. Exactly. And this is probably the one with the longest uh, pedigree. Legman's pedigree, because this guy goes back to the 70s. Yeah. He was, I think, the first person we came up with when we were thinking about this form. Back when it was called The Downward Road. It was really weird because me and Tom were discussing this as we frequently do. Yes, believe it or not, folks, we actually do discuss this stuff before mm-hmm. we do it. And when we were talking about the concept of doing it, the first name that was mentioned, right. both of us had said at the same time, John Carpenter. Carpenter. 
thing that's sort of unique about John Carpenter, in my opinion, never has one director burned so brightly, so quickly, and then kind of fell off the radar. Oh, he was like a supernova. You look at that period of creativity from 78 till about 85, where he did Halloween, and he did Escape from New York, and he did The Fall, The, the Fog, thing. The Thing, Big Trouble in Little China. China. And then he really knocked it out the park, because here is a guy who was known for horror movies, right. working exclusively in the genre of science fiction and horror, and he comes out with a movie like Starman that was nominated for right. Academy Award, which, exactly. everybody, which took everybody by surprise. They said, whoa. More importantly, the thing that I think that made makes Carpenter unique is that he was a brand name before directors started being brand names. Exactly. He was the first brand name director, well, I mean, let's say. You could say arguably that Alfred Hitchcock was the first one. Okay. But he was the first one that decided right from the start, I'm going to sell myself as part of the package. Right. He was the first director since Hitchcock. People went to see Hitchcock movies because it was a Hitchcock movie. Didn't right. matter who was starring in it. Right. Same thing with Carpenter when he had that extraordinary run that right. you're talking about with Halloween and The Thing and all that other stuff. Right. People wouldn't see a John Carpenter movie because it was John Carpenter. And on top of that, he was already looking towards expanding into television almost from the beginning because he was doing screenplays for TV movies. He did the Elvis. He did Biopics, Elvis, yeah. Which is how, of course, he met his first muse, the great Ken Russell. Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, sorry. Ken Russell is an entirely different Yeah, yeah. Person. Ken Russell is entirely different. That's another episode. <laughs> Just a picture. Can you imagine the right. thing directed by John Carpenter starring Ken Russell? All right, Ken. In this movie, you're playing Elvis. All right. I'd pay money to see that one. <laughs> Trust me. I'd pay a lot of money to see that one. As always, I guess we should begin with a brief biography. No, first we should say that you're Thomas DJ. And you're Derek Ferguson. Now we can go ahead. And okay. Do, that was strictly for the people who may be listening to us for the first right. time. Who are these two people? Yeah, right. They said, wow, why are they just hollering and yelling at me? That's a segue into right. the bio, which Tom will Now keep give in mind, right this now. information is taken off of IMDb, so it should be taken with a grain of salt. You don't find them a reliable source for information? <laughs> Let's just say questionable. Okay. Born on January 16th, 1948 in Carthage, New York. I think this is our first local boy that we're talking about in Director's Court. Okay. Born John Howard Carpenter. Educated at Western Kentucky University and began making short films in 62. He won an Academy Award for Best Live Action Short Subject for The Resurrection of Bronco Billy in 1970. Oh, so he is an Academy Award. Yeah. So he, okay. Carpenter did form a band during college, which kind of explains his interest in music right from the beginning of his career. Well, he's done soundtracks for, yeah. what, about five or six of his own movies? I think the majority of them have okay. John Carpenter. The thing about a John Carpenter soundtrack is it's recognizable as a John Carpenter soundtrack. Exactly. Usually that single synth chord Because even, even today, you play the Halloween mm-hmm. theme song, everybody says, oh yeah, Halloween. Me, personally, I like the one for Escape from New York better than that. Mm-hmm. that I, my favorite of the soundtracks he did, because he went out of his comfort zone, if you will, is the soundtrack he did for Vampires. Okay. Where he put down his synthesizer and picked up an electric guitar. Because mm-hmm. it's very bluesy and very kind of down and dirty and definitely keeping with the tone of that film, which is very much a Western with, with monsters in it. Oh, yeah. During his career, he's been a writer, he's been an actor, he's been a composer, a producer, and of course, well, he's here for, director. Incidentally, that band he formed, the Coupe de Villes, mm-hmm. also featured his future cronies and people that he started on the road to directing themselves. 
Tommy Lee Wallace and Nick Castle. Cool. And Nick cool. Castle, when in Halloween, when the, Jamie Lee Curtis takes off the mask, that's Nick Castle. That's Nick Castle, yeah. Was married to Adrian Barbeau for uh, not that long a time, only about five years. As a matter of fact, I'm going to add that on when we pay yeah. a sentence on him. I'm going to take that into account because anybody that's knocking boots with Adrian Barbeau, he gets bonus points in my book. His first feature film was a film that he did while he was in college called Dark Star, written by Dan O'Bannon. Yeah, Dan O'Bannon, who later on went on to write Alien. Alien. However, the film that got him noticed was a film called Assault on Precinct 13, which was an unofficial ah. remake of Rio Bravo. It's his tribute to Howard Hawks. Right. He said that in many interviews. Well, a lot of his films are tributes to Howard Hawks. Yeah, that's his favorite director. He's right. a Howard Hawks. It is at a festival screening of Assault on Precinct 13 that John Carpenter met a young, up-and-coming producer by the name of Mustafa Akkad and walked up to him and said the famous five words, babysitters are stalked by boogeyman. Done deal. And what came out of that was Halloween. And this is where his story really, truly begins. Which, for many, many years, held the title as King of Independent Films. Because it was the highest grossing independent film right. at one time, I believe. And for a long time, it was the highest grossing independent film. Yeah, it was. And Halloween, this little low-budget film, brought him to national attention. Right. And he grabbed hold of that attention and wrote it like a rock star. Now, Halloween came out in when? 78. 78. Okay, folks. Now, you have to remember that, again, and me and Tom always go back to our roots, which is these grind houses, because mm-hmm. this is what was playing it. Right. I remember seeing Halloween in 1978. I know it doesn't seem like a big thing now, but you cannot imagine the impact this movie had. Like I said, I went to see it about three or four times. My people forget. There were people that kept going back over and over and over to see this thing. And he was this little, grotty, independently made film that was getting attention. Newsweek did a full-page review of it. Praising Carpenter has New York Times. I remember Newsweek. Everybody. I remember New York Magazine devoting 12 pages to a profile of this man that they published just before the release of his next film after Halloween, The Fog, complete with rock star-esque photo of him with the shades and the suit yeah, in a yeah. dark alley. And the long hair. Yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, at this time, he was living with, I guess, common-law marriage mm-hmm. to his producer, the person who produced Halloween. But then he met on the set of The Fog. The Fog, Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau, and they hit it off, and they got married, and she appeared in Escape Fog, from New York. Escape from New York. I think oh, those are the only two that she appeared in. Trying to think. She, I, she wasn't in the thing. I think you're right. Yeah, those are the only two. Even though did. apparently there was pressure from Universal to put a female character in the thing, and he said no. Because he the, said it wouldn't work. Of right. course not. Because, of course, the thing is based more faithfully on the John Campbell novella, mm-hmm. Who Goes There. Right. Although it is also very obviously a tribute, once again, to Howard Hawks, who created the original. The original, the thing from another world. In fact, he James Arness. found a way to incorporate footage from that film, colorized, of course, into the actual movie. Yeah. As a matter of fact, in Halloween, mm-hmm. there's a scene where the kid that Jamie Lee Curtis right. is babysitting, he's watching TV, and he's watching The Thing from Another World. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in addition to the films we've already mentioned, he's also done films such as The Prince of Darkness, which was, of course, his big comeback to horror. Yeah. They live... At the Mouth of Madness. In the Mouth of Madness. 
the remake of Village of the Damned. Yeah, with Christopher Reeve and... Kirstie Alley? Kirstie Alley. Memoirs of an Invisible, Invisible Man. Invisible Man with Chevy Chase. Which yeah. is going to be a film I have a feeling we're going to be devoting a bit of time to. Yeah, as a matter of fact, he had a very hard time with the studio because they were pissed off that they were paying all this money for Chevy Chase and they said he's going to be invisible yeah. for the whole movie? What the hell? <laughs> Escape from L.A., Vampires, the most recent theatrical film he did was Ghosts of Mars in 2001. Right, starring Ice Cube, yeah. Pam Greer was mm-hmm. in that. Uh, Clea Duvall, Joanna Cassidy. Joanna Cassidy, yeah. Yes, Ice Cube has Desolation Jones. Jones. He's also tried to get a television series much like Hitchcock. Wasn't he the host of uh, a show, show called Body Bags? Body Bags. Body Bags. Only, it was only a pilot. They never did the entire series. Hasn't it been released on DVD? Yes, I it believe. is. On VHS. I'm clicking on all cylinders <laughs> yeah. here today, folks. Keep up with me. Keep up with me. <laughs> that was not a very good... I saw a couple episodes of, yeah. of it. I wasn't impressed. Matter of fact, I was downright disappointed. He plays a body. Yeah. He's supposed to be the county coroner, but he's actually dead. I mean, he was the host. But he was also one of the people who was instrumental in the development of the Masters of Horror series, which lasted a total of two years. There was a third one under Fear Itself, which was done on network television. He's since, and here's where this is going to be a major thing we're going to be discussing, since his Masters of Horror two short films... Cigarette Burns and Pro-Life. He's the first of these directors from the 70s who has gone on to, at proportion, his intellectual property Mm -hmm. to other people. We have seen remakes of The Fog. The only one that he seemed to have any real involvement in, though, was the remake of Halloween, where he supposedly handpicked Rob Zombie to be the director. Right. There was supposed to be a remake of Escape from... Which uh, is back on. With Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler, yeah. Who, and my God, what the hell has happened to him? He's taking the Sandra Bullock road. Three years ago, this guy ruled the world when he did 300. Now he's making romantic comedies with Jennifer Aniston. What the hell? And for those of you who want to know what the Sandra Bullock road is, you can always go to Mm bitdsite.com and look at the glossary that we just put up. (laughs) Subtle plug there. But yes, apparently Escape from New York was off... And now it's back on again. Okay. As is the TV series version of They Live. I've heard about this, yeah. He is the first one. Wes Craven jumped on the bandwagon. Yeah. A couple other people have. Sean S. Cunningham has. Yeah, because we've had remakes of Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. The good news is he has three films in production, one of which is actually supposed to be released this year. The Ward, L.A. Gothic, which is in, I think, pre-production right now, and that's based on a script by this guy. He's a friend of our uh, good friends, the Drunken Zombie crew. Also did the script for uh, Dario Argento's most recent film, Giallo. What I understand is one of those awesomely awful films you have to see because you won't believe how awful it is. Did you bring that movie that you were talking about was so awful you were watching last night? I have to make a copy of it for you, because I need it for the movie I got about girls podcast tomorrow night. We're doing cult movie karaoke. I'm playing Satan. Okay. (laughs) Which, as I said to you, is obviously typecasting. (laughs) The funny thing is, the Satan in this film, Super Zushu versus the Down Mood, the actor who plays Satan looks very uncomfortably like Andy Kaufman, so I'm really... Oh my God. So I'm really tempted to do him as Latka. Oh, that should be funny. And by the time this comes out, of course... Yeah, it'll already be out. It'll be out this Sunday. And the most recent film that he's announced is called The Prince. Okay. So he's apparently, after ten years away, he's getting his feet back into making movies again. Okay. Now that we've brought everybody up to date, let's start the evaluation. And where do we start? Remember when we talked on the phone about this, when we were planning this out? I told Mm -hmm. you I had a theory about John Carpenter. Enlighten us. That John Carpenter, right from the start, always 
had the intention of being the theatrical equivalent of Will Eisner. Everyone th- remembers Will Eisner as the guy who, quote-unquote, created the graphic novel, as the guy who created the spirit. They keep forgetting the one thing that maybe Ed Will Eisner might not want to cotton to, which is he was the creator of the comic book Sweatshop. Ah. In that he employed a bunch of other artists and writers. Who were never credited. Who were never credited. And they went to different comic book companies and said, if you give us money, we'll give you a comic book's worth of material. Gotcha. If you look at Carpenter's career, and Carpenter, I think he's the first director to ever have his name above the credits of every single film he's ever done. Matter of fact, I would say that John Carpenter was the guy that started that trend because it was about a John Carpenter film. Right. Now, all of a sudden, everybody that made a movie, it had to be a Joe Neckbone film. or But it was, he took it one step <coughs> further. It wasn't just a film by John <coughs> Carpenter. It was John Carpenter's Assault on yeah. Precinct 13. Mm-hmm. John Carpenter's Halloween. John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. Then when he would create the characters and then pass them off to the writers. Right. Look at John Carpenter's career. He creates these characters. Did you look at some of the character names of some of these people? Snake Plissken. Snake Plissken. John Nada. Yeah. Desolation Jones. Napoleon Smith. All these names are very, very marketable names. They're yeah. very distinctive. They right, you're right. Head. Well, they're like superhero names. They're very marketable. They're very distinctive. You hear them. You immediately get a picture right. in your head. And you what know. happened, particularly with the Halloween franchise, is he took that cred... And with the second film, he gave it to this friend of his, Tommy Lee Wallace, or this friend of his, Mm -hmm. Dick Castle, and let them direct the film, although it was still John Carpenter's Halloween 2. Yeah, exactly. John Carpenter's Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Well, he had a sweatshop going, which, to me... It seemed like he always had his eye from day one to turn himself into a franchise, to turn himself into a business. Because that's what Halloween was originally supposed to be, as we discussed it in that now classic episode where Tom heroically reviewed all of the Halloween movies. It was an experiment that failed because Carpenter's idea was that every Halloween movie following two was going to be its own separate story. The only linking thing that would be was that it would would, would take place on Halloween. And in fact, Season of the Witch, which to me, I love that movie. That was the one with the killer Halloween mask and Druid Stone. Yeah, I love that movie. However, it was such a flop that the studio insisted. They said, no, bring Michael Myers back. had a script written. For that fourth film. Exactly. By Dennis Etchinson. And he was going to give his buddies a directing shot at directing each and every one of these Halloween movies. But three flopped so badly that the studio said, no, 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 no. Let's go back to the slash and bring Michael Myers back. Well, what happened is Mustafa Akkad waited until Universal lost interest and bought the rights back. He immediately brought Michael Myers back. I'm sure that if, let's say, Escape from L.A. was done in 1985 as opposed to 19... 96, mm-hmm. that Tommy Lee Wallace would have directed it. Yeah. I'm sure if there was a sequel to They Live, you look at They Live, They Live doesn't so much end has stopped. It doesn't really have a climax. It ends so abruptly yeah. that, and I remember very clearly seeing it for the first time, and it stopped so abruptly, I honestly thought there was something wrong with the film. I said, that's it? It's a very unsatisfying conclusion right. to me. Fascinating yeah. premise, though. The money shot of that film is that very last where the guy's in bed with the girl and looks up and it's an alien. Yeah. That's it. And that's the end of the film. But um, that's all, folks. I'm sure if he had made sequels at that time when he was red hot, he would have 
passed them off. And the fact that, for example, that he did all the soundtracks for these films, mm-hmm. so that every time somebody plays the Halloween theme, he gets a check. He, he gets paid. Yeah, that's an interesting point that you make, that Carpenter doesn't do sequels. Because I know that when Starman was real big, and when it should be noticed that that went on to be a long-running right. TV series. When uh, Starman hit big, the studio wanted a sequel. Right. Look how long it took us, for us to get Escape from L.A. And I think the reason we got Escape from L.A. was because... At that point, he was desperate to get his name back. Yeah, he was desperate conscience. for work. Exactly, yeah. By now, you had all of these copycats that had hijacked right. the formula that he had created mm-hmm. with the slasher movie. Yeah. And they had run it, you know as well as I do, that we had Friday the 13th, right. that we had Nightmare on Elm Street, which really can't put in that, I consider it to be its own right. separate category. But we had Terror Train, and we had the slew of movies that came out, everything was a serial killer on right. a holiday. We had Valentine's Day. Right. We had my mother, Valentine's Day. Mother's Day. Day. Yeah. Oh, my God. St. Patrick. I think that's the old... No, Leprechaun. Leprechaun. Yeah. Oh, man, come on. I think people... And this was used as a joke in Grindhouse, which is that Thanksgiving was the only holiday left. Right, because even Christmas wasn't safe. Yeah, Christmas was done multiple times. Exactly, about five, six times. Yeah. After Memoirs of Invisible Man. Which I guess we're going to address very soon. Actually, I think you can argue that after Big Trouble in Little China, because Big Trouble in Little China did not do as well as everybody counted on it doing. Big Trouble in Little China was a movie definitely made ahead of If he had waited till the 90s. Now, we're going to rag on Carpenter a little bit, but it got to be said. That movie was ahead of its time. If he had made it like 10 years later, that movie would have been a big hit. Now, see, I got it. Because right. I'm a genius. I sat there, and I loved it. I distinctly remember walking out of the movie theater with a couple of my boys. We went to right. see it, and I was listening to people, and they were saying, what the hell was that? For me, the genius of that movie is it's a movie where the person you're automatically assuming is the hero is actually the sidekick. Exactly. Dennis Dunn, right. who you think is the sidekick, he's actually right. the hero. He does everything, and it's, in fact, if anything, Jack Burton actually complicates things rather than enables things. Yeah, but it was such a fun movie, but that I equate along with another movie that was vastly misunderstood at the time, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Mm-hmm. Because at the time, people would say the same thing. Well, what the hell is this? Yeah, of course, now, Buckaroo Banzai, like Big Trouble in Little China, right. is regarded as a masterpiece. That movie should have been a bigger hit back in the day. Yeah. And it wasn't Carpenter's fault. It's just that he was using filmic technique. He had seen these Hong Kong action yeah. movies. And these were techniques that we see in movies all the time now. Exactly. He was the first one to do it. But it, it wasn't until about 89 that people started going, hey, there's some cool shit going on over in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. Which would have made this film a lot easier to take by exactly. the public. Which is why when The Matrix came out, people were wondering why I wasn't orgasming over it. Well, see, I'd been watching Hong Kong movies for 10 right. years. I'd seen this stuff before. The fight scenes were nothing new to me. Mm-hmm. I'd seen John Woo movies for 10 years. So the gun right. battles were nothing new to me. If more people watch movies instead of re-watching the same one over yeah. and over again, I'm looking at you Lord of the Rings fans. <laughs> they would have known this. Carpenter did this 10 years before anybody even knew anything about Hong Kong. And people were coming. And also, I think that they didn't get the mixing of the genres that right. he did. He had the Chinese mythology and he had mm-hmm. the action thing going on. A movie had to either be one thing or another. It had to be action, adventure, right. or it had to be a fantasy. He mixed all of them genres up there, along with 30s and 40s pulp action adventure sensibilities, and people just didn't get it. What was Jack Burton if a clueless Terry from Terry and the Pirates? There you go. And extra points for those of you out there who know who Terry and the Pirates <laughs> is. If not, go Google it. Well, I'm not explaining it. The interesting thing is, I'm really curious to know why, after Big Trouble Little China... Carpenter and Russell didn't work together 
for ten years. I always got the impression that John Nada was meant to be Kurt Russell. Kurt yeah, Russell. yeah. Because the problem with They Live, I find, is that as interesting as Roddy Piper is in the first half of the film, mm-hmm. once he gets the glasses, he becomes Rowdy Roddy Piper, mm-hmm. the wrestler. <laughs> you suck. You suck. You suck. You yeah. suck. He's not acting. He's being Rowdy Roddy yeah. Piper. Which me from that old school of wrestlers, Roddy Roddy Piper was my favorite. Right. Because first of all, he was a dude who had the nerve to go into a wrestling ring wearing a skirt. <laughs> Now, you know this man is badass. I love a Roddy, Roddy and, a, and a motorcycle jack. That's what drew me to see the movie anyway, right. besides John Carpenter. I said, oh, I want to see him act. Yeah, but you do get the impression that that movie was meant for Kurt I Russell. think it would have been a much darker film. As if it wasn't dark enough. It's kind of hard to be dark with Roddy Roddy Piper being Roddy Roddy Piper. This is true. And just making cracks about, you're like 10 yards of ugly. And also, people didn't get that scene because, uh, again... I remember quite vividly. I do have a memory for these sort of things. Right. Oh, going to see that in the movie theater, the whole fight scene between him and Keith David, which was meant mm-hmm. to be a parody and a satire on wrestling. That's what I well, felt. Actually, and, and I, you know what I think? Are you familiar with a film called Darker Than Amber? Yeah. I always thought that the fight with him and Keith David mm-hmm. was Carpenter's tip of the hat to the fight scene in that film with Rod Taylor. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm visualizing it in my head now. Yeah, I think I know what you're saying. But I think that because Roddy Roddy Piper was a wrestler. Because there are wrestling moves that's incorporated. Right. Come on, you can't really body slam somebody on the concrete <laughs> and they get up and fight. But this is what happened. The audience I saw it with, first it was, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then it was embarrassed laughter. Because it goes on for so long. And mm-hmm. the joke is stretched out so far that by the end, people say, oh, come on, man. Now let's get this shit over with already and get on right. Because it just goes on for unnecessary it, length it just, of time. It's a weird film because Piper is really good in that first part where he is just Mr down and out. He's subdued and he's subtle and then the second he gets those glasses, it's Vince McMahon time! And like, we really don't know what's going on. Yeah. We're not sure. There's a palpable air of paranoia. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we don't know who to trust. Just like he doesn't mm-hmm. know. Carpenter does a good job of putting us in this homeless guy's shoes. He doesn't know who to trust and as a consequence, we don't know who to trust either. Who's an alien, who's not an alien. Right. Yeah, but I agree with you. That first half, got no problem with. But then toward the end, the longer the movie goes, the more it goes downhill. Yeah. <laughs> Until you get to the ending, and it's like, oh, come on, this is how it is. After Big Trouble in Little China, we had They Live, which we just talked about briefly, and then we had Memoirs of an Invisible Man, mm-hmm. which I think killed him for a while. Yeah, he had a lot of problems. And this was a, one of his first really, really, really big budget films. If I remember correctly, Universal, I think, was the one who did it. Mm-hmm. They were pushing this as a major tentpole Well, film. he was the guy that he had did Starman for him. Starman was a huge commercial and mm-hmm. critical success. There were people didn't like Carpenter before Starman. They were saying, we never... And of course, nobody guessed he had this sweet romantic yeah. love story in him to direct. Of course, Universal wanted him back to capture lightning in a bottle for the second time. But the studio was very unhappy with the project because, as I said earlier, right. Chevy Chase is invisible. You can't do an Invisible right. Man movie, folks, without having an Invisible Man. You would think <laughs> when he comes to the studio and goes, here's what I want to do next. It's a novel. Yeah, based on a very it's successful very novel. Su- at it's the time. a novel called Memoirs of an Invisible Man. And we're going to have Chevy Chase has the Invisible Man. 
Why can't he be the Visible Man? Because it's called Memoirs, Memoirs of, of an Invisible, Invisible Man. Man. And I said, wait a minute. Didn't somebody at some point yes. say, let's find something else for you and Chevy Chase yeah. to do? Because they weren't happy with paying Chevy Chase, and I think back then he got like $10 million yes. for it. Him and Daryl Hannah were major stars at that point. A lot of people forget this because now see him on NBC. He's got a TV right. show again. He's in that one set in the community college community, yeah. called Community. At that time, Chevy Chase was like the number one there was a period of yeah. 1976 till about 86, about 10 years, where he was the equivalent of, God help us, he was like the equivalent of like a George Clooney. Yeah, a lot of people forget that because he had the National Lampoon right. movies. He had Fletch. Oh my God, Fletch, I love Fletch. Foul Play, he had... Right, Foul Play was the first, I remember seeing him in Foul Play in 76. That yeah. was his first. With Goldie Hawn, yes. Yeah. Second film after. It was either his first or his second film because it was either that or Modern Problems was his first film. I think it was Modern Problems. Yeah. He was at that time the major star. And the studio was livid because they said we're going to pay him $10 million and people aren't going to see him right. for the whole movie. And Carpenter really had a fight to get that through. Plus, you had Sam Neill, who at that time was also someone with a bit of a box office following. Is it just me? Or has Sam Neill got a portrait in his attic yes. somewhere? Because if you look at movies back then and yeah. look at him now, he really hasn't changed that much. It's like I said when we were reviewing Daybreakers. Him as a vampire, perfect casting. Oh my god. No, you look at me and say, wow. I don't know, either the guy has got a portrait in his attic, or he really takes real good care of himself. I have no idea. The film did not do well. Uh, no, it did not. And it started kind of a rough patch for Carpenter. Because it's not a very good movie. Yeah, because there was an attempt to do the Body Bags TV series. Then the next film he did was In the Mouth of Madness, which kind of floated around for years on the shelf mm-hmm. before eventually being released very, very quietly on little cat feet through Dimension Pictures. Which starred Sam Neill. It, it, and it should be mentioned that for fans of Lovecraft, this is a Lovecraftian style of horror. I see, I thought it was not a very good film. Finally got to see it on DVD. Then you got Village of the Dam, which I remember seeing in the old Ridgewood Fiveplex and being, and I'm sorry Michael, because Michael Bailey likes this film. But it sank like the Titanic. <laughs> because it stank like what was at the bottom it's of the Titanic. It's not a good movie, even though it's got Kirstie Alley, who back then was mad smoking hot. Mm. That's why I went to see and Christopher Reeve actually wasn't that bad an actor. As uh, most people, of course, they say, oh, yeah, well, he just knows how to do the Superman movies. No, if you've ever seen him in Somewhere in Time, well, he was good in that one. But, yeah, this was a misguided attempt to remake a classic, and it's just not a very good movie. Yeah, it's also one of the few non-Paul Hogan-related starring roles for Linda Kozlowski. Oh, my God. <laughs> You know what I always have a picture of? What? Linda Koslowski and Dolores Taylor from the Billy Jack movies yeah. <laughs> sitting in a bar together bitching about how they could have been big time stars. You know? oh, <laughs> if they'd only got away from their husbands. Yes. <laughs> and from there, of course, we get Escape from L.A., which is, quite frankly, I think is very, very sad. Memoirs is where we can point is where things really went off the rails. That's, yeah, that's where it went off the rails because this was a major Hollywood thing and Carpenter 
he's a director that up until that point was used to doing things his way. Right. And without studio interference. He just went ahead, if you want to make a movie, damn it, he went right. ahead and made a movie. He did Starman, and I think it's interesting because now we got him. And Kevin Smith pretty much did the same thing recently with Cop Out. Right. Did a major Hollywood studio film within the system just to prove to themselves that they, they could, could do, do it. it. And yeah. I get the feeling that's why Carpenter did Starman. Never worked for a major studio. Never had a major budget. Right. Let me see if now I can do it. Yeah. And he did it. It was very, very successful. Probably the only other film that people will remember Karen Allen from. Right. Because everybody, oh, yeah, Raiders of the Lost Star. Yeah. But after that, everybody said, oh, yeah, Starman. And I think what was going on after he did these two films, because apparently he really, really loved the original Village of the Dam, which is why he did the remake. Well, who doesn't? But after that, the next three films that he does is his attempt to get back on top. Here I'm returning everybody's favorite character of mine, Snake Plissken, in Escape from L.A. And while it does follow the Joe Bob Briggs rule for sequels, it should be the exact same story. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's the exact same story without any of the subtlety. Well, it should also be mentioned that he did it because for years, Kurt Russell had been bugging yeah. him. Let's do another State Pliskin movie. I want to do one. Mm-hmm. When are we going to do one? Because he liked the character too. And why not? It's a great character. And I think I probably mentioned this to you after I watched it again, that I was really surprised at how political this movie is as opposed to the first one. Well, to be fair, for the first one also had its political elements. It just was subtle about but it. But not like this one. Carpenter is shoving it in your face yeah. with the Reagan-esque played by Cliff Robinson, who to me was supposed to be a Ronald Reagan type yeah. of... The characters in Escape from New York are characters. Gotcha. The characters in Escape from L.A. are cartoon. They're sock puppets. Yeah, for I mean, Carpenter to spout his political compare agenda. Compare Donald Pleasance yeah. president with Cliff Robinson's president. Donald Pleasance president, there was some depth there, even though... In the end, he proved to be just as callous a bitch as Pliskin assumed he was going to be. Right. See, I knew he was in trouble when Snake asked him, a lot of people died to get you back yeah. here. How do you feel about that? And he was waiting to see what he was going to say. Yeah. If you didn't give him the right answer, he'd have given him, given him the right yeah. tape. But when the president came up with that bullshit, the politically correct right. answer, he said, ah, okay, screw this guy. Yeah. But whereas Cliff Robertson is a frothing-at-the-mouth monster to the point where he has his own daughter electrocuted. Yeah! And then you get, look at the... His hot daughter. Once again, let's look at the Duke of New York as compared to Quavo Jones. Oh, no comparison no at comparison all. No comparison whatsoever. The only scene I really liked to him was the one where he's in the Coliseum before mm-hmm. Snake has to play the basketball game and he says, oh, you may have escaped from New York, but this is L.A. and L.A. will kill you. You know, yeah. he has that great speech. Especially a genre movie like this, you got a great hero, but you got to have an even greater villain. Yeah. This movie did not have a great... We had a lot of great side characters. Steve Buscemi, who's always on Map to the Stars, Eddie. Right. You had Pam Greer, who plays, believe it or not, a transvestite. <laughs> That's another mistake Carpenter made. Right. You don't get a smoking hot pan grill for your movie mm-hmm. and then have a play a transvestite. You also had Bruce Campbell as the yeah. Surgeon General. Surgeon General, yeah. yeah. He was he was great, but it just didn't... It, I don't know. And, I, and on top of that, it has that really, really cheesy CGI. Yeah. That real obvious CGI. One of the things I kind of like about Escape from New York, one of the reasons I think it holds up, is it looks like a civilization that had to take a couple of steps back. Mm-hmm. Which is why we have those weird Amiga style yeah graphics. yeah graphics right. But you do have to admit though that Escape from New York. You look at that, and it's obviously it was not filmed in New York. At least Escape from L.A. It looks like it could have actually been filmed in L.A. Yeah, but with far too much CGI and matting. Yeah, because this is like one of the first yeah. movies that had CGI. There's nothing like what we have now. After that, you have vampires, which I like a lot. This 
this is the James Wood. The James Wood says as a vampire hunter. It'd be hard for any writer and director to mess up James Wood <laughs> as a vampire hunter. <laughs> really, it would. <laughs> and after that, we got Ghost of Mars, which was so painful because it is John Carpenter so badly wanting to start a new franchise. Well, to me, I saw this. It was like he was trying to remake a soap on Precinct mm-hmm. 13. It just didn't work. Go ahead and remake the soul, yeah. which did happen. There was a respect. Where he decides after that, okay, you want to remake, give me money. You want to remake Precinct 13, here you go. Yeah, since I couldn't remake the soul to Precinct 13. I don't understand. If you just want to remake it, go ahead and remake it yourself. Much like David Cronenberg is doing right now with The Fly. Do we need yet another version of The Fly? I don't know. But I do think it's interesting that Cronenberg is doing it because I feel that's what he said. If somebody's going to remake it, why right. shouldn't I why do shouldn't it? Why shouldn't it be me? Yeah. Now, we've had this discussion before about people who are selling off their past. Okay. In the case of Carpenter, I find it really risible because, as we've established, this was a man who had his eye on business all the time. Before you start saying, oh, well, they don't have health insurance, they don't have this. He's a member of the Director's Guild. Okay. He has life insurance. He has medical insurance. Plus, he's got Halloween money coming in. Okay. He's got Escape from New York money coming in. I can feel a little sorry for Wes Craven, because Wes Craven made some bad choices in his life. Okay, he made bad business decisions. But this is a man, for 15 years, never made a bad business decision. God bless him. It seems to me that this is a case of Michael Jordan greed, not, I need to prepare for my retirement. And in the words of Gordon Gecko, greed is good. Listen... Me and you have talked about, and folks, we have. Me and Tom have almost come to blows over this. I'm sorry. I don't see anything wrong. Why shouldn't he cash in on something that he created and something that he's got the rights to and that he can sell? He doesn't have to do the work. Okay, yeah. you go direct it. You do it. Just send but me a check. you said it not 10 minutes ago. What? If he wants a remake of Assault on Precinct 13, if he wants a version geared towards the audiences of today, why doesn't he... Headed himself. Not as a director, maybe, but why doesn't he take this system he created? He created this system that was working really effortlessly for a long time, where he found people he liked and he trusted. And when he set something up, and then he set somebody else up to follow him. But didn't he just do that with the Halloween movies back in the 70s, where everybody that directed yeah. one was guys he knew? Yes. So he was doing the same thing back yeah. then, Tom. He but he had control thing. over them. He, don't have, he, was, he, he, he didn't have control over Assault on Precinct <clears> 13. <throat> he didn't have any control over the Fog remake. This is a man who knows how to do this okay. himself. We're not disputing that. But how old is Carpenter now? He's about 60 years old. Okay, maybe he just doesn't want to work that hard. He's directing three films, so he must be working pretty hard. Okay, I'll grant you that. That argument doesn't hold water. I take, it, <laughs> right. I, I take it back. <laughs> you know, I can kind okay. of cut okay. Wes Craven I'm trying right to here. understand what your particular beef is. It seems to me that you got a problem with him making money. I don't. Maybe that's because I'm a capitalistic, okay. materialistic bastard. I admit to that 100%. And now I've got this image of myself in a little Russian hat with the red star on it. Yeah, yeah. Your power to the people. Proletariat. No, no. I think... Share everything. What problem do you have with the man making money? I have problem with the man making money without having a care as to his own legacy. As I said, this is not Wes Craven. Okay. Who did his films, then decided after Red Eye, I'm going to become an academia. But you know the difference between Wes Craven and John Carpenter? John Carpenter, somehow, maybe he's got a third eye, 
Yeah. He figured 20 years down the road, people were still going to be watching mm-hmm. Halloween. Wes Craven never figured that with Nightmare on Elm Street. He mm-hmm. thought the movie would play for a while, make a couple of months. Maybe he'd be able to pay off his mortgage if he was lucky. Right. And that was it. People forget about it. How did he know that 30 years later, there'd be a remake? John Carpenter, I think in the back of his head, always said, I'm going to hold on to it. Which is why right. he independently produced his movies. He had a very strong business ethic going into this I business. I just don't understand why, if he decides the time is right, there's money in then Lars Hills. You got to imagine that being a producer, mm-hmm. as opposed to being an executive producer, give me money, here are my character. Being a producer isn't as stressful as being a uh, yeah, no, well, Yeah, well, of course. So, it wouldn't have taken that much effort. We saw him do it with Halloween, although I think that he needed to put more oversight in that film. I that, concur 100% on that. Where he went and he found somebody that he was comfortable with to... Shepherd Halloween into the aughts. Mm-hmm. And actually, to be honest, the remake of Halloween, that's what I really call a real remake because it was yeah. so far from mm-hmm. Carpenter's original conception yeah. of it that you could have legitimately slapped another title on it already right. and it could have been its own original movie. Did we need an origin for Michael Myers? No, we, no, we did not. That was definitely a Rob Zombie movie because right. he loves this movie with this ignorant white trash. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> And we got plenty of that in this movie. Right. Plus, two things that you can always count on in a Rob Zombie film. White trash and pictures of his wife's ass. Oh, yeah. No. (laughs) Listen, if the man wants to show his wife's ass on a 60-foot high screen, who am I to argue with him? I'll pay my money and look at his wife's ass. Hell, why not? (laughs) Especially a film like The Fog, which you and I will both agree, is very, very violently flawed. Oh, yeah. Somewhere in there, there's a good movie trying like hell to get out. Yeah, the film in concept... The premise is... I love the concept, yeah. It's a great idea. It's the execution. It's the execution I have a problem with. Which, of course, is the beginning of what I consider to be some of his weaknesses, which is his, his tendency to lose faith in his own work and go and, and sneak in and do insert shots. It's all over the place. Yeah. Quite frankly. Look at Halloween 2, where he felt not confident enough in what Tommy Lee Wallace wrought, so he snuck into the, the studio mm-hmm. the last week of filming and shot gore sets. Same thing with The Fog. The Fog, he didn't have enough, so he went in and did these really obvious makeup effects yeah. shots of the ghosts with like the worms yeah, falling with the, out of yeah, the face. Yeah, the worms falling out the face. Why didn't he go? and do what he did with Halloween and say, okay, what director would I want to see his interpretation of this vision? Maybe he can improve upon what I did. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't have taken that much effort. Instead, he's got like sausage, okay? (laughs) Sausage. Chop! Here you go! Here's a pound of fog. Chop! Here you go! Here's a pound of escape from New York. Chop! Here you go! Here's the thing. Although they've since... Backpedaled on the idea of remaking the thing, and they're now doing a prequel about what happened before the dog shows up in the camp. Oh, so what happened at the Swedish at camp? At the Swedish camp. Oh, yes. okay. I guarantee you there's going to be a woman in there. Is the movie going to be subtitled in Swedish? No. Are they going to speak Swedish and there's going to be no. some? Well, okay. And of course you're going to have people that don't look at all Swedish playing the Swedes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But actually, I would rather they do a prequel rather than a sequel. Because I love the ending of that movie where you just have these two guys just sitting there in the snow waiting to die. You don't know if one of them is the alien or both of them. Because you know, there's an ongoing theory that the Kurt Russell character actually has been taken over by the alien and he's not the real guy. I don't know. To me, I just love the ambiguity of that ending with the two guys sitting in the snow at the end waiting to die and neither one of them knowing who's the alien. Or maybe neither one of them are. But then you've got the They Live TV series that's being developed by Siffy. I hate having to evoke that name. Although I will admit, I 
really regret that I didn't see Mega Shark versus Giant <laughs> I saw a clip on YouTube where the shark jumps out the water and yeah. bites a 747 in half. I said, holy shit, I want to see that. <laughs> well, this is where my frustration with him. I, I'm not against him making money. Okay. I'm against him being so cavalier about his intellectual property. When we know, in the past, he has been a lot more protective of it. Okay. Well, that's legitimate. That's how you feel. I can understand. And, but but and, as far as the legacy yeah. things go, only time will tell. John Carl, let's face it, he is still billed as the guy who created right. Halloween. They never mention any of his other movies. Well, they may, but later on. But it's always John no, Carpenter. No, it's always Escape from New York. The director Halloween, of Halloween. And The Thing. Those are his three big things. That's it. We know that he wants to work. It's not that he's being lazy because he's got one film in the can and he's working on two others. Okay. But will they be any good? We don't know. We're going to find out. Has he regained that magic, or is he just spinning his wheels? Once again, we don't know right now. The first film, which is the one that's coming out this year, which is The Ward, it's apparently like a ghost story set in a mental institution. Like we've never seen that before. Yeah, I have no idea what L.A. Gothic is, except that it's probably set in L.A. Well, we can reasonably expect that, just like in Clash of the Titans. We can't expect that Titans Titans will will clash! plot is listed as five combined stories of horror centering on a vengeful ex-priest's effort to protect his teenage daughter from the supernatural evils of L.A.'s dark side. So it's an anthology feature. And we do know that it will be set in L.A. and that right. it will be gothic. Yes. <laughs> it's an anthology feature, which actually is kind of intriguing to me. Now let's take a look at what The Prince is about. The Prince, 2010. We have no listing for the plot, so we'll see what happens with The Prince. When is this supposed to come out? The Ward is in post-production. That's coming out. Okay. L.A. Gothic and The Prince are in some various forms of pre-production at the moment. Their fate will probably rest on how well The Ward does pretty much. The other thing that I guess angers me about Carpenter's behavior recently is that he's the one that showed the way to everybody else. Now, to be fair, I can understand Wes Craven saying, I didn't do a great job with Last House on the Left, which was Mm -hmm. my first film, but I think there's a germ of a story there. Of course, because it's The Virgin Spring by Ingmar Bergman. That's a good reason for a remake. Have you ever watched those two movies back-to-back, The Virgin Spring? I've never watched them back-to-back. It's very interesting watching The Virgin Spring and Last House on the Left back-to-back. I did that one night. You see the influences of Virgin Spring. Because when I tell people that, oh, this is a remake of an Ingmar Brady, they say, get out of here. I said, said, watch it, and you'll see it. Do it sometime if you're in the mood to do it. And I would be the first to admit that if he was going about this differently and doing what he did with the Halloween remake and being a hands-on producer and saying, Neil Blomkamp, I like what you're doing. Could you do Escape from L.A. for me? Just an example, just throwing it out there. Yeah, 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 I got you. Uh, Or Alex Proyas. How would you like to do oh. Escape from L.A.? Oh, man. You know, Alex Proyas Escape from oh, Yeah, man. being hands-on and hand-picking somebody that he thinks is suited mm-hmm. for the project, as opposed to, chop, hey, here's they live. Mm-hmm. Chop, hey, there's Starman. You know Starman's going to be remade. Like it's only a matter of time, of course. Just like Big Trouble in Little China is going to be remade. He's just going to be there with the sausage up there. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to get an outstanding Hong Kong Kung Fu choreographer. They're going to do that. They're going to CGI the shit out of it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to make a shitload of money. Because now audiences have caught up to what Carpenter did 20 right. years ago. But the thing that really annoys, for example, we just talked about briefly, Clash of the Titan. <laughs> I feel like I have to say it that way. Every yeah, you time do. I bring it up. yeah, you do. It's like, did you ever see the Boondocks, that episode where it has the pimp? It's a pimp named Slickback. Now, that 
that's his name. A pimp named Slickback. And there's one part where somebody calls him Slickback. He says, no, 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 no. He said, a pimp named Slickback. It's like a tribe called Quest. You got to say the right thing. So Clash of the Titans. You got Clash of the Titans. Yeah, you got to say it like that. Is that judging from, and I know you can't wait for this thing. It's the weirdest thing. I had no interest in seeing this thing until I saw that crazy ass trailer. Yes. Titans will clash. And I said, oh my And of course, Liam Neeson in the really sparkly suit. (laughs) Release the clocking. I said, oh my god. Which looks like the gayest outfit ever. Oh, how much did they pay you to get in that suit? He's making some interesting choices as far as his roles yeah. go, but Taken, who would have suspected that he could be such a I badass mean, action hero? I suspect that this is his period of his trying to come to grips with what happened with his wife. Yeah, I think Where so he's too. just yeah. diving into work and just doing anything that's offered to him. At least he's not doing crap. Well, we don't know. We haven't seen Clash of Titans And yet. we haven't but seen A-Team yet. I'm willing to bet Clash of Titans is going to be a big hit. Oh, of course. I think it's going to be a really goofy CGI fest. Yeah, you know why? Because, of course, the trailer is all about, look at these great monsters. It's, that's what it is. You want to see these great monsters, don't you? I do. I want to see a great monster movie. As much as I rag on CGI, I don't mind going to see it if a movie says, we're not pretending to be anything about anything other than the CGI. Although I find it interesting that in the original Clash of the Titans, the gods are helping Perseus. And judging from the trailer, it's all about Perseus going, Well, the gods suck! Fuck you, gods! It's actually Zeus in the first one. Isn't yeah. it his wife, Hera? She's against him because... Right. Or is it so Zeus leader? commands his daughters yeah. and sons to help him out, which is why yeah. he gets... Oh, okay. The shield and the right. helmet and the sword. It's made me want to go back and watch the original again, mm-hmm. but I definitely Well, there will be that. a new edition coming out next month in time for the release. Just one quick digression before we mm-hmm. jump back in the carpenter. The only problem I have with the A-Team, I'm wondering... Okay, when I went to see Brooklyn's Finest, yeah. they had the credits for the A-Team and for the Losers. And they seem like they're very similar in yeah. a lot of ways. No. Well, the funny thing about both of those trailers is they're both built around one moment. Yeah. In the case of the Losers, it's that shot of Zoe Saldana with the rocket launcher with the rocket on top launch. of the roof. In the case of the A-Team, it's the shot of Liam Neeson in the tank... Being dropped by the parachute. Right. Shooting the gun. Everything in that trailer is designed to build up to that one that shot. That one moment. I want to see both of them because I love the comic book. Yeah. The Losers. I, I've never read The Losers, actually. Oh, okay. I mean, my favorite moment in the trailer is, of course, the guy going, I got you covered. Yeah, and he just has the fingers pointing. Yeah. And he's going like this and the guys are dropping one by one. Yeah. And say, holy shit. And then he looks to the glass and they do the rapid zoom into yeah. the, the sniper. And he got the sniper like a mile away yeah. and he's giving him the high five. <laughs> so, yeah, I said, oh, man. Who wouldn't want to see a movie Well, the like great that? thing about The Losers is it's a comic book that's very easy to grasp for the general public. general public can figure this out without... Oh, they got the concept in a minute trailer. That's As like opposed a- to somebody like Green Lantern. Well, actually, The Flash would be very easy to figure out. Or The Wonder Woman. I really dread the moment when Wonder Woman makes it to the screen and trying to see the trailer explain what Wonder Woman is about. I don't think that's going to be very hard to figure out. A lot of people like me and you, remember yeah. Linda Carter, mm-hmm. are going to go see just for the curiosity right. value, which I think has held up the project for so long, is who you're going to get to play Wonder Woman. Right. Because I can't really think of an actress. Now, the only actress who I can think of, and of course now she's too old to do it, they should have did it 20 years ago when Catherine Zeta-Jones was in. Right. That's the, the only actress the I can think of. one person I always thought of back when they first started talking about this, way, way back in the early 90s, was Gabrielle Reese. 
Okay. Are you familiar with this? The name is very familiar. She was a star volleyball player. She's, she's naturally six foot one. I think I've seen her on ESPN because they have the volleyball yeah. championships every year during some. That's where I very, know very, from very beautiful, mm. but very, very exotic looking because she's equal parts Greek. African-American and Native American. So she definitely looks like somebody from another place. I think eventually that's what they'll have to go with. They'll have to step out of Hollywood and they'll have to get somebody from the athletic world. Or get a complete unknown. Just go out and find somebody like they did with Christopher Reeve. Just have a picture of Wonder Woman and put it up there and say, Okay, well we need somebody that looks like that for Omega Fox. Please give me a break. Or like when Josh Whedon was in the project, he's like, Summer Glow might be interesting. Shut up! Not Summer Glow. Wonder Girl, yes. Yeah. Not Wonder Woman. I don't know if she would be a good Donna Troy, but we better get off of this because we get in trouble whenever we start talking comics. Oh, you tell me about it. So, back to Carpenter. I think we've chewed this fat. What do we have to say about Carpenter? Probably for the first time we're going to have a split decision here. In Carpenter's favor, very strongly, it's very few men in Hollywood, or women, or you can say, well, women, now we well, got Well, for what? the longest time, he had control over his own destiny. Well, he that, was the master of his own domain. Well, this is what I'm saying. I give him a lot of props because it's not many men in Hollywood that can say that they created an entire genre. And at the bottom line is that that's what he did right. when he made Halloween. For the next ten years, we had nothing but all of these horror right. and slasher movies that were unabashedly modeled on the fact that Carpenter and right. made such a big. We saw the independent film deal explode. There were more people that were saying, "Well, shit, John Carpenter went out and made a movie." Why you can't know, I? Why exactly? I put him up almost yeah. on the level of a Roger Corman because by that one movie. Although I have a sneaking suspicion that John Carpenter is never going to get an award from the Academy. I don't think so. They've surprised me a lot. And you know what they surprised me? Which I am glad they did that. What? That they did not wait till Roger Corman had died. They acknowledged him for everything. When? I posted on some message yeah. board. People were talking, oh, Roger Corman, well, what did he do? I said 75% of the people that were sitting there at that academy were had jobs because right. of Roger Corman. So mm-hmm. don't sit up and talk about well, who's Roger Corman. Well, there's that in his favor as far as I'm right. concerned. He banged Adrian Barbeau. <laughs> Crass as that sounds, yes, that's in his favor. What is not in his favor is his hit or miss thing. John Carpenter is a very inconsistent director Mm -hmm. to me. It's not like Martin Scorsese, where I know if I go see a Martin Scorsese movie, it's worth seeing. With John Carpenter, it's a crapshoot. Yeah, it may be good, yeah, it may not be good. Mm -hmm. So there's that on the minus side. Right. Me, as far as I'm concerned, my ruling is I'm going to put him on probation. I recommend monitored probation, that he be watched very carefully. So you're basically putting him under house arrest? Yeah. Okay. There you go. That's I a, can deal with that. Thank one of the things. Let him I out would, to work. Right. <laughs> I would think that one of the things I would remand him to do is to take back your own property. You have shown that you are capable of being an overseer without being interfering if you want, and I perfectly understand you want to get in on all that tweener money out there, but you need to show me the same moxie you showed me in the 70s and 80s where you were your own industry with your own directors and not just willy-nilly throw out your stuff like sausages to a bunch of dogs. Or beads at a Mardi Gras. Exactly. To any girl that has showed you her tits. You're better than that, John. <laughs> Maybe you're not the most consistent of directors, as my fellow judge has said, but you are a person who understands the business of movies, who knows how to get movies made, both as a producer and as a director. You don't need to just sell your intellectual property to the highest bidder when you know that you, with just a little effort on your own part, 
And we know you're capable of the effort because you're making three movies now. Mm. You can't hide behind that. You can't hide behind the Wes Craven, oh, I just want to be a professor now mm-hmm. excuse. Okay. You're capable of doing this, and I believe in you. But you got to take this back for yourself. Or you know what you're going to have? You're going to have 13 episodes of a really crappy They Live TV series starring, I don't know, some moron from the Caucasian wankery network. We've never heard of. Fighting Nazi aliens and Roman aliens and all that sort of stuff. And alien aliens. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'll get a different pair of glasses every week. Every week, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. So, that's our ruling? Yes, house arrest for John Carpenter. House arrest for John Carpenter. This meeting of director's court is adjourned. we got to get a gavel. We should, and some ginchy wigs. Yeah, <laughs> I love those powdered wigs. Can we get a hot girl for the bailiff? Any takers out there? <laughs> we got to get a webcam. Next time I go to Walmart, I'm going to get yeah. me a webcam. <laughs> and we're going to get the wigs, and we're going to get the gavel, and we're going to do an episode. Um, see, as a matter of fact, I'm going to ask you guys out there that's listening to it, if you'd like to see us do... Because uh, it would not be that difficult to post and it, we'll on, post it on, YouTube. on YouTube. If you want to see us do an episode of Director's Court in wigs and robe <laughs> with a gavel, I'm serious now. Let see, me know if we get enough people I interested. picture the two of us at a big table, and we have a bailiff, but it's like a ring girl at a boxing match. Yeah. So they just hang up. They just yeah, yeah. Way, you know. Listen, folks, Tom is going to tell you right now where you can go at right. to tell us if you want to see that. So if you want to see us prancing around in wigs and robes, there are a number of ways you could do it. You could send us an email to betterinthedark at earth2.net. That's betterinthedark at earth-2.net. You can join one or both of our message boards. Either go to the earth2.net site, which is, of course, at www.earth-2.net. Click on the left-hand side of the homepage where mm-hmm. it says Forms. Take a few minutes and sign up for their forms. Or you can go to betterinthedark.proboards.com and join our forms there. You can join the Better in the Dark Facebook group. Of course, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, for those of you who may not have heard about this and don't know, we're going to take a few minutes very quickly to explain what happened. Monday, I get emails and phone calls. I get instant messages. I didn't know about the phone calls. You just told me emails. Yeah, well, I got one phone call. Okay. Don't get beside yourself. But what had happened was that somebody on Facebook that was purporting to be Tom was saying that he was in London and he had gotten mugged and he had a concussion and was soliciting money so he could get home. (laughs) Needless to say, it wasn't Tom, who was in Brooklyn. I called him and I said, you're not in London, are you? And he said, well, no, I'm at work. What are you talking about? I said, well, this is what's happening. I made him aware of the situation. So Tom got in touch with Facebook and what did they say? Update us. They haven't gone back to us. There is a chance that I will start a new Facebook page. So if you go on Facebook and if you go to the Better in the Dark page, you will see that it's just entries from me on there. Yeah. Because Tom's account has been deleted and all his postings everywhere, apparently. Yeah, everything. Yeah. And I felt really bad because there are people like J.T. Cruel. Yeah. Poor guy. Okay, the extent of my interaction with J.T. Krull is reading one of the comic books that he wrote. He wrote the Black as Night Titans miniseries. Finding him on Facebook going, are you the J.T. Krull who wrote this because it was really, really good? And I really, really liked it and I wanted to commend you. And that was it. And this guy is being solicited by this moron. If anybody has any idea who this idiot is, you let me know. Oh, yeah. He's on my list. Yeah, he's on, and he's on my list now, too, He's as number well. one. In fact, he's skipped over the Dowdell brothers and everybody else. He's yeah, this is on number one list. on the list. And, of course, if you want to know what the list is, 
You can go to our Better in the Dark Central site at bitdsite.com, where our good friend Kelly has all sorts of stuff about Better in the Dark. Has a culture and has a website, including the glossary, links to all the episodes, and little YouTube fun, all, all sorts of stuff. He dug up an interview that I had did back in 2003 when my first book, Dylan and the Voice of Odin, came out. I was interviewed by the writer mm-hmm. Jane Oliver, who's written fantasy novels. And he found the interview. I have no idea where he found this thing at, but it's up there, too, if you guys want to yeah. listen to that. Also, we both have live journals. Derek's is called Derek Ferguson's Notebook. And Tom's is called Space Monkey Mafia. And we keep you up to date on new episodes of Better in the Dark. And also, lots of other fun goodness. And I'm on Facebook. I'm still there. You yeah. can find me. So we are not hard to find. We have a very... I'm very tempted to, if I have to create a new account, put it like Tom DJ Legacy character. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And if you're listening to JT and I have this... You said that he knew about you because of the podcast. Well... I have to wonder if he actually has listened to us. I have to say, JT Crow, that's a stand-up guy because... Yeah, he is. What had happened was that he contacted me right away and he said, well, this is what's going on. Is Tom all right? JT, if you're listening, thank you very much. You did not have to do that for somebody who was probably new only as a fan. And I have great respect for you. Thank you very much. As a matter of fact, I propose that we create a title right now, the (laughs) JT Crow Stand-Up Guy Award. That we're going to present to our listeners who demonstrate stand-upness above and beyond the call of duty. And we should also mention James Hickson, because James caught this guy. (laughs) There's a fan fiction writer that we know, we've known for years, named James Hickson. This guy, he contacts James, and James trips him up. You don't want to know how he trips him up, folks? He asked the guy, okay, well, if you're a Tom DJ, then tell me who the beautiful one one is. And the guy couldn't answer. Uh, 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 uh. Or anybody would know who who my answer for that is. Or anybody would know what Tom... So, James Hickson, you get the JT Cross Stand-Up Guy Award for being smart enough not to fall for the scam. A couple other things we want to mention. We also invite you to check out the live journal of our good friend, Kaelin Conley. Oh, yeah. Be hyphen. Be hyphen. Dot who, com. Of course, yes, is the person who puts together our theme song. Our musical director. In fact, he said he's talked about putting together a Better in the Dark EP. Of all the versions of Oh, of all of the, the versions of these. Oh, cool. Also, once again, a reminder, it's still not too late to go to Amazon.com or PulpWorksPress.com and order your copy of How the West Was Weird, an anthology of really whacked out westerns, including stories by myself and Derek. That's right. And you know I wasn't going to let this go by without mentioning that also Dylan and the Legend of the Golden Bell mm-hmm. is now available. Also, Amazon.com and also BarnesandNoble.com. Yes, I did it, folks. I was in BarnesandNoble.com and you know they got the kiosk where you can go mm-hmm. and you can look up information on books. Yes, I went in and looked up to see if they had my book there. <laughs> and they do. They do. It's, it's a shameful secret they do. amongst authors that yes, we will go into bookstores and check out to see if they have copies of our books. And they do. They have copies of both Dylan and the Voice of Odin, the first mm-hmm. one, and Dylan, the Legend of the Golden Bell. There you go. Anything else we left? I on? think that's about it. Should we tease the folks with other candidates that we have for director's course? And of course, okay. by all means, if you have a candidate there for director's course, let us know. There is a thread on the official Better in the Dark message board mm-hmm. devoted to people that you would like to request as director's court. Yeah, I don't want to call them candidates or nominees. Plaintiffs. Plaintiffs. Yeah, that's the word they use. Plaintiffs. Um, Accused. Next up, it looks like we're going to get around to talking about somebody that I know a lot of people find very controversial. 
Who's that? Mr. Richard Kelly. Ooh, this is the guy that did Donnie, Donnie Darko. Darko yeah. Matter of fact, I'm glad you reminded me. I have to put that on my Netflix queue. Because, yeah. do you believe? I have never seen Donnie Darko. It's one of these movies that... You know, I'll tell you a secret, neither have I. Really? But I figure this is an excuse to see all of his films. Okay, and he also he recently did, did The Box. The Box, Southland Tales. Three films, Southland but three Tales. that have brought Firestorm controversy every time. Southland Tales had uh, Rock, Dwayne Johnson yes. was in it. The Rock playing an amnesiac who's married to Sarah Michelle Gellar has a porn star slash talk show host. Now, I know people who have seen this, mm-hmm. and they fall solidly into one of two camps. I have heard people tell me that it's a work of genius, and mm-hmm. I've heard other people tell me it's a piece of shit. It's yeah. either one or the other. It's no in the middle. That really makes me want to mm-hmm. see it even more, because it's no middle ground. Well, but then again, it was the same thing with Donnie Darko. People either loved that or they hated it. Well, so if we talked about it, I know that Kellen is supposed to come in as a guest judge when we talk about John Singleton. Yeah, our first guest judge. Yeah, he's <laughs> going to come on. If you guys are interested in contributing possible names, it's going to be a tribunal. Go to betterinthedark.proboards.com. Die, Click on die. future episode ideas, and the title of the thread is Future Director Court's Defendants. Off with his head. So let's see what else we got. Oh, somebody wanted David Cronenberg, which might be interesting. Oh, okay. We've got a couple of... Which will be, yeah, interesting, because Eastern Promises, I just recently saw that. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that at all. The funny thing is, is that Cronenberg is this director who is known as a horror science fiction director, but... I always got the impression, given his druthers, he would be doing racing movies. Really? One of his first movies was a racing movie called Fast Company. Okay. And if you listen to the director's commentary on the DVD, it's the most anime he's ever been. Really? Yeah, because he always sounds like he just took a nice, good hit of something mellow. Yeah. <laughs> We've got more, and always come in with your suggestions, because people like these things, so we're going to keep doing them. As long as you want to hear them, we'll do them. Right. God knows we ain't got nothing else In to do. In fact, we had a suggestion from somebody that they wanted to see us do an actor's court. Yes. And all I can say is it was funny that you should mention that, but that's for a future episode. So, I guess we're done for this one. Yes. This, this session of Director's Court. The defendant is now dismissed. Clack the little beeper thing on him and back home. <laughs> and until next time, this has been Derek Ferguson. And this has been Tom DJ reminding you, if you're caught with a masked killer chasing you through the deserts of Mars while trying to escape from, from a major Mars. metropolitan city while three Chinese kung fu guys representing the three storms are fighting with a bunch of guys wearing funky sunglasses they claim show them to be aliens. Go, Go see that movie! movie. Good night. Good night. God bless. One of the defining moments of Better in the Dark was episode 12, What Made Haddonfield Great, when Tom DJ reviewed and discussed all eight of the Halloween films at the time. It was the longest episode at that moment, and also was an experience that broke him utterly. Now, in May of 2010, it's Derek's turn. <laughs> Say what now? You think you got what it takes. This May, Derek Ferguson tackles the entire Nightmare on Elm Street series. Yes, even the one with Roseanne Barr. That's right, folks. For your enjoyment, your edification, and your eternal gratitude, I am going to take the plunge, and I am going to attempt to encapsulate the entire history of Nightmare on Elm Street, the series that gave us Freddy Krueger. That knife-wielding maniac who turned from a rabbit, hideous, child killer, into a chuckling, (laughs) sadistic (laughs) anti-hero that we all grew to love and admire. 
That's right, I'm going to do it. All eight Nightmare on Elm Street movies leading up to the remake that's going to be coming out with Jackie Earl Haley as the new Freddy Krueger. Better in the Dark. What makes Springfield famous? Coming soon from Earth2.net and BITDSite.com. Every town has an Elm Street. The less you eat, the faster the virus moves through your bloodstream. Virus? Yeah, that's what I call it. You've been listening to Better in the Dark, featuring Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Special thanks go out to Des Reddick of Dread Media, Gray of the Dark Hours, the Drunken Zombie Crew, Eric Frome, and the members of the Better in the Dark message board at betterinthedark.proboards.com. Better in the Dark invites you to inquire about our combo special on one half pound of Ghost to Mars and one half pound of Prince of Darkness. Send all comments, praise, hate mail, love letters, and pipe bombs to Better in the Dark at Earth2.net. That's Better in the Dark at Earth-2.net. Please vote for us on Podcast Alley and why not leave us a review on iTunes? Hey, maybe you can even visit the Better in the Dark Central site at bitdsite.com. Better in the Dark is a Conspiracy Productions presentation in association with the Earth2.net community of podcasts. All material, copyright, Thomas DJ and Derek Ferguson. Until next time, remember that it's real easy to make Chevy Chase invisible. Hey, the Fox Network pulled that trick off for years. It's all up to you now, Jack. My destiny rests in your capable hands. Hey, I'll do my best. You see, I take these glasses off... She looks like a regular person, doesn't she, huh? Put them back on, formaldehyde face. Anyway, moving along, Andrea, what have you got well, for us? Well, speaking of, speaking of stuff that's not rocket science. Hey, everyone, it's your old pal, John Drew, letting you know what's going to be happening during the month of April 2010 on the Chronic Rift. First off, we've got our in-review episode where we're covering everything from comic books to movies to TV to novels. Our roundtable discussion this month is going to be on comic book movies. Is this the golden age of comic books? What with the success of the Watchmen movie and DC and Marvel's plans to release a slew of comic book-related movies? And finally, we've got two spotlight episodes. First one where I will be interviewing author and illustrator MCM. And our second one, in which we will be announcing the winners of this year's Roundtable Awards as voted on by you. So come check us out over at chronicrift.com. The Chronic Rift, where we're trying to find the culture in pop culture.